Welcome to the Left and Lefter podcast with your hosts, Vince LaMartina and Dean Vergara. This is a Left and Lefter podcast where we discuss the current news and events from the ideological perspectives of a moderate Democrat and a Democratic Socialist. I am your host, Vince LaMartina, and I'm joined by my co-host, Dean Vergara. We're back again with another episode. Dean, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Glad to be back. Happy to be back. We took a week off. We're back. Better than ever. Better than ever. Ready to tackle some some political commentary. Perfect. And there's a lot that's been going on. Before we get into that, I do want to give a quick update on the state of the podcast. We are continuing to grow our podcast and social media presence. Since our last episode, we shattered our most recent goal of 1,500 Twitter followers. Thank you to everyone who followed us on Twitter. As of this recording, we're currently at 2,800 followers. Our new goal for this week will be to reach 3,000 Twitter followers. The only way we can accomplish that, though, is with your help. So please go ahead, follow us on Twitter, at Left and Lefter. We would really appreciate it. Help us reach our goal of getting 3,000 followers on Twitter. Also, we are proud to announce you can now support the Left and Lefter podcast directly by purchasing merchandise on our website. We have just launched our Left and Lefter shop. Go to leftandlefter.com slash shop to support the podcast. Currently, we have a bunch of great Joe Biden merchandise that you can only find on our website at leftandlefter.com slash shop. I am currently using our Buy Don mug as we speak. Not only is it great quality, but the message is even better. The shop has Biden-themed mugs, iPhone cases, flip-flops, and even jewelry on sale and in stock. We also will be launching t-shirts and face masks very soon. So please keep checking back as we add more items to our website at leftandlefter.com slash shop. To celebrate the launch, we have a discount code. Use the code LAUNCH15. That's LAUNCH15 to receive 15% off anything in our store. And that's good for the rest of July. That's LAUNCH15 to receive 15% off anything in our store. Now let's go ahead and start our first segment of this episode, Reacting to the News, where we react to our news story of the week, our good news story of the week, and we even nominate our Dumbo of the week. Our main news story of the week is Florida and Texas are now considered COVID-19 hotspots. Over the last week, due to increases in COVID-19 cases, both Florida and Texas were forced to pause the reopening plans and place further restrictions in place. On Saturday, Florida reported more than 11,000 new cases, up from 10,000 on Friday, the previous daily record. Governor DeSantis responded by forcing all bars and nightclubs to stop serving alcohol. However, he has stopped short of implementing a face mask policy or further restrictions. And in Texas, which has also seen a record number of cases this week, Governor Abbott told bars to close and limited restaurant capacity indoors to about 50%. Also, he ordered a statewide face mask mandate in public settings. With both states experiencing ICU shortages, Further shutdowns may be inevitable. Dean, with Florida and Texas among the first states to reopen, are you surprised to hear this news or do you think further restrictions will be needed? So no, no, and no. (laughs) I'm not surprised at all. And at this point, knowing what we now know, knowing how COVID-19 is spread, no one should be surprised at this point. So there's this image that I really cannot forget and really no one should forget. It's that image that you actually shared with me originally that was tweeted out by a Dr. Richard Davis, who many people would say is uh, he's pretty knowledgeable about the spread of viruses and, and bacteria. 
Yep, Dr. Davis is a viral expert, so he, he's a good one to listen to. And uh, yeah, so more specifically, he is the clinical director of the microbiology lab at Sacred Heart Hospital. So what he and his fellow scientists did was they conducted a series of experiments. And the startling image that he tweeted out was the result of those experiments. So to anyone who has not seen the images of those results, let me just briefly explain what those results revealed. They revealed that masks and social distancing work. You heard it here first, people. Masks and social distancing helps prevent the spread of COVID-19. Who would have thought? So I think we already shared those images uh, on our Twitter account. Is that correct? Yes, Dean, we have tweeted out that image uh, on our Twitter feed, and we'll go ahead and retweet it out again. For anyone who wants to follow Dr. Davis, Dean, what is Dr. Davis's handle? Yeah, so you could follow him at Rich Davis PhD. Definitely go give him a, a follow. So what, what his demonstrations plainly show is that when people breathe, cough, and sneeze, like most humans tend to do, and those people are wearing masks and or practicing social distancing, the amount of virus-containing droplets that is transmitted is greatly reduced as compared to those who are not taking such precautions. And knowing that Florida and Texas have been operating with a business-as-usual mindset, not requiring masks, allowing bars and clubs to remain open, Knowing all of this, the sad reality is that this should shock no one. And what, what's even sadder is that somehow, in some perverse, convoluted reality, the wearing or non-wearing of masks has turned into some sort of political statement. And to those who actively choose to put our most vulnerable citizens in danger by continuing the nonsensical notion that wearing a mask is somehow akin to being told you have to sit in the back of a bus or having your land violently stolen from you. To those people, I mean, how dare you? It's one thing if you want to practice your stupidity in the comfort of your own home, go for it. But now these people with their willful ignorance are putting people's lives in danger. And for what? For what? How selfish can they be? We're a society, a society that in a best case scenario comes together to oblige a certain set of values, rules, and laws that hopefully result in more good than bad. So if these people do not want to be considerate and thoughtful, and I don't know, an empathetic member of society, then they should leave their local Costco, Best Buy or Walmart and move somewhere in the middle of nowhere and they could go fend for themselves. In Texas and Florida, where you have a high number of individuals who are choosing not to take the necessary precautions, it should not come to any surprise that we're seeing these spikes in these states. And I think it's important to even distinguish the difference between Florida and Texas, because you won't hear this very often, but I'm going to give Governor Abbott some credit. I disagree with Governor Abbott on pretty much everything, but at least he was smart enough, had enough intelligence to realize the writing on the wall, which was that if he didn't act soon, even with his 
promise not to do anything to harm the reopening or to stop the reopening, he understood what was happening, which was that COVID-19 cases were increasing drastically, testing was down, and that he could not keep it going any longer, and that he had to do something to try to stop the curve. And I give him credit for at least mandating masks, because you look what's happening in Florida, and talk about just the epitome of an idiot in Ron DeSantis. There have been, there are plenty of bad governors uh, throughout history. There are plenty of bad governors currently serving in America. But Ron DeSantis takes the cake. His state, Florida, where both of us live, ICU shortages are becoming a very big issue. We're having 10 to 11,000 per day new cases happening. Now, he did shut down all bars, which I think will help to a degree, but he refuses to put in place a face mask ordinance, and he doesn't want to do it statewide. What separates, I think, Governor Abbott from DeSantis is the fact that DeSantis has one goal and one goal only. DeSantis wants to appease Trump. Don't get me wrong, Abbott wanted to do the same thing. Abbott wants to be Trump's lapdog just as much as DeSantis does. But for DeSantis, I think it's on a whole different level because DeSantis gives a lot of credit to Trump for winning him his governorship. Let's face it, the polls showed DeSantis was going to lose. Trump came and did rallies for him. Trump really do, went to that. Do you bat think that's DeSantis. what it is, Vince? Do you think that's why he is he seemingly so beholden to, to Trump? Yes, I think the only plausible explanation is that he believes he owes everything to Trump and he is beholden to him and he will do nothing to go against him because that's what he's doing right now. When you look at all the new data coming in, every day, 10 to 11,000 new COVID-19 cases, 22% decline in testing. There is no other plausible explanation other than that DeSantis wants to appease Trump. Give Abbott credit. And again, I don't like giving Abbott credit for doing the right thing, but at least he did it. At least he's requiring face masks. He understands the writing on the wall. And let's face it, Texas isn't as bad of shape right now as Florida is. But, but Abbott knows what's going to happen. He knows if he didn't put something in place, it was going to get bad very quickly. And now that's what you have happening in Florida. And unfortunately, in Florida, everything is politicized. It's a swing state. So I think everything always is politicized in Florida. And right now you have a lot of people who out of pure politics, they don't want to wear a face mask and they're fighting it every step of the way. And I think DeSantis is also trying to appease those people as well. That's his base. The people who don't believe COVID-19 is real. They don't want to accept it's real. They think it hurts potentially President Trump because of President Trump's lack of any actual response to COVID-19. Thus, if it's real, it's going to hurt Trump in the 2020 elections. Those people refuse to wear masks. And the only way you're going to get them to do it is by mandating a statewide mask policy. And that's why DeSantis won't do it because it goes against his base and it goes against Donald Trump. Additionally, I think DeSantis really cares about tourism. The state of Florida is a tourism state. So I think he doesn't want to do anything that also could hurt tourism. He doesn't like the idea of people having to walk around in masks because he thinks it's going to hurt people wanting to come to Florida. And I mean, also, if you wear a mask, you do look like the Lone Ranger. That, that is very true. Donald Trump does say he looks like the Lone Ranger when he wears one. Everybody that also lives in Florida who's been complaining about DeSantis and Trump, you better come out to vote. You better come out to vote in 2020 and you better come out to vote in 2022. Yeah, let's face it. The reason DeSantis is governor is because they outvoted us. Their base came out more than our base came out. That is the only reason DeSantis is governor. We were just talking about this before we started recording this podcast. We were looking at Andrew Gillum and the race that he ran and he did a great job. He turned, he flipped a lot of counties that were red counties blue, but it wasn't enough because the panhandle outvoted Southeast Florida. And that was the difference. So we lost by what, 30,000? Was it 30,000 votes? Yep. Give or take. 
So, you know, just come out to vote. Tweeting about how awful he is, is, is great. And I guess it, it spreads awareness, but it's all for nothing. It's all for nothing if you don't come out to vote. To all those kids that had been protesting, going all the way back to uh, the gun control protests, to now, just come out to vote, please. Yeah, it's sad when you think about the fact that people don't realize that elections have consequences still. And I'm hoping that with COVID-19, we've all learned that. When you look at the Gillum DeSantis race, not only did we not turn out our base, but you look at the amount of people who also did not understand that this was a binary election. The amount of people who voted in that governor's race for third party candidates, or even worse, they undervoted. They voted the bottom part of the card and they didn't vote for the governor's race. To me, that's ridiculous. There is only two options. And I know there's a lot of people who would argue, and I know Dean, we've had arguments about this, whether a third party is needed. I get those arguments completely, but here's the reality. There is no third option. It's a binary choice. You have the Democrat and the Republican. You're not going to get someone who agrees with you on every issue. I did not agree with Andrew Gillum on every issue. But I was also smart enough to know that I did not want Ron DeSantis to be our governor. Why? Because he's an idiot. And there's a lot of people who did not understand that. And they chose either to vote for a third party candidate, which was a wasted vote, or they undervoted and they voted for every other race on the ballot but the governor's race. Let's be clear about something. Gillum was not Vince's first choice. He wasn't his second choice. He had very significant differences of opinion with Gillum. And even with that, he understood that when Gillum got the nomination, he was the only choice. And he was a fervent, uh, not only defender, but proponent for Gillum. And if a moderate Democrat can do that for Gillum, we have to do that for Biden and for, you know, for any other Democrat right now that is, in our opinions, less than perfect, but it is a binary choice. So again, elections matter. We need to come out to vote, especially in Florida. We both live in Florida. So, you know, apologize if we're focusing on it too much, but it is an important state. I mean, and we're not biased, just politically speaking on the national level, Florida is critical. And Vince, please correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't we widen the registration lead by 300,000? Yeah, we did. I mean, we've done a great job registering people to vote. We just got to get them to turn out. And that's been honestly the biggest missing piece, I think, for Democrats in Florida. I will give Andrew Gillum a lot of credit. He has done a lot to fix a lot of the establishment problems that we had when it came to getting people out to the polls. Unfortunately, he had a very short path to be able to get everything fixed and completed by the time his race came. But I think it sets up hopefully a much better outcome for Joe Biden. So I'm encouraged about the work that Florida has been doing to get people registered and mobilizing the Democratic Party in Florida to turn out our base. I think we're going to have a much better outcome, hopefully, when uh, with Biden's election and hopefully Joe carries the state. I also think this is a a different type of race. I mean, it's a presidential race, number one. Number two, let's be honest, Florida is a very unique state. I don't know of any other state where there's as many people who are registered independents or non-politically affiliated voters. I think it's almost a third of our state is wow. independent wow. or non-politically affiliated. So, And it's very diverse. It's, you know, you have all types of voters. So it is a great representation of America. And I think when we look at COVID-19, that's the one message it comes back to is that elections matter. They have consequences. Voting matters. 
And when you look at what's going on in Florida and what's going on in Texas right now, it would not be happening if there were different governors in place. And it's sad that we're having to see these two states go through this for their constituents because they have governors who cared more about appeasing Trump and more about reopening to fill a political narrative than the safety and well-being of the people in their state. Next is our good news story of the week. This week's story is about Run for Something co-founder Amanda Littman. Recently, Amanda explained how even though she voted for Bernie Sanders in the New York primary, she will not be voting against Donald Trump in November, but rather for Joe Biden. Amanda explained via a series of tweets about her personal experiences with Joe Biden. Back in 2017, she was presenting at a small conference with other progressive organizations. The keynote speaker for the event was then Vice President Joe Biden. After her presentation, Amanda was presented with the opportunity to meet the vice president. When she met with him, Amanda explained that her grandmother would be disappointed in her if she didn't ask for a picture. After taking a picture, Vice President Biden turned to Amanda and said, let's call Grammy. Amanda immediately called her grandmother and said, sorry for interrupting your bridge game. Someone wants to talk to you. She then handed the phone to the VP. Hi, Grammy. This is Joe Biden. Amanda said that she could hear her Grammy smiling through the phone while talking with the vice president. Joe Biden told her grandmother how proud she should be of Amanda and all her accomplishments. Grammy told Joe Biden how she had 18 grandkids and she was truly proud of all of them. She also explained how she had four daughters. Her second eldest, Amanda's aunt, Michelle, was in the hospital with advanced colon cancer. She was really sick. She had three kids, all young, and it had been a rough two years. The VP's posture and demeanor changed immediately. Biden responded by saying, I'm so sorry, Grammy. I'm so sorry. You know my son, Bo, died of cancer. As a parent, you should never, ever have to think of one day bearing a child. It's a nightmare. I promise you I'm going to do everything I can to help you. Vice President Biden went on to talk about his moonshot effort to find a cure for cancer. He continued to speak personally with her about sitting in the hospital room with a sick child and about the pain you feel. She could hear her grandmother choking up on the phone. The VP took out his notebook and wrote something down and told Grammy, I'm going to give Amanda my personal home phone number. You need anything, call me. You're in the D.C. area, right? I'll come to the hospital and sit with you. Anything you need, call me. Vice President Biden went on speaking with her grandmother for over 20 minutes longer. Then the VP handed her the phone back saying, your Grammy is a strong woman. I'm so sorry about your aunt. Please, anything I can do, anything, Amanda, let me know. Less than five months later, Amanda's Aunt Michelle died of colon cancer. Vice President Biden sent her Grammy a beautiful, heartfelt condolence letter. He also sent one to her uncle, a man he had never spoken to. It meant so much to them. To this day, Grammy still talks about that phone call and that letter. She knows how much it meant to have her pain seen and heard. Grammy always says Joe Biden is a genuinely nice man. He just gets it. Grammy's grief mattered to Joe Biden, and he understood how to relate to it. This is why Amanda is voting enthusiastically for Joe Biden. Even though her politics align more with Bernie Sanders, she understands that our country is grieving and that hundreds and thousands of people have literally lost loved ones and million more are grieving about the futures and plans they once had. Joe Biden viscerally understands how that grief feels. Part of rebuilding the country after Trump will be creating policies and legislations. But just as big of a job will be redefining our nation's emotional stability, or what Joe Biden calls the soul of our nation. We're all going through trauma. Our next president needs to be one who can help us heal. Vice President Biden can do that. He will help us all grieve. Joe Biden will see our pain, respect it, empathize with it, and help transform it. That's why Amanda is enthusiastically voting this fall, not against Trump, but for Joe Biden. Dean, this story is the epitome of the Biden message. He is someone who can heal this country. Joe Biden is a man who generally, I think, understands pain. He's went through a lot of pain throughout his life. And reading this story the first time, it even made me choke up 
What are your reactions to our good news story of the week? I, lo I love this story. I love it for a couple of reasons. Uh, but before I you know, get into that, I do just want to thank Amanda Littman for sharing that story. And then also just for all the work uh, that she's doing, all the work that she's doing to recruit, train, and find uh, young liberal talent to run for office. So kudos to her. But back to the story, you know, I've made it pretty clear that, you know, Joe Biden was not my first choice. I have fundamental disagreements with him on many issues. But, you know, right now is not the time to discuss those differences. Right now, I just want to simply point out that Joe Biden's empathy is so greatly needed right now. This is a man who knows more about loss than I hope anyone ever has to experience. This is a man who lost his wife, a young son, and then not so long ago, another son to cancer. That changes a person. And I'm not saying that experiencing the death of a loved one alone is enough to make a bad man good. But what I am saying is that Joe Biden has so clearly been shaped by the tragic events in his life and exemplifies what it means to show empathy in its purest sense. And to contrast that with what Donald Trump is, a man who went on stage in front of thousands of people and mocked a disabled man, a man whose entire business career has been built by defrauding students and local governments, a man who in the middle of a pandemic where over 130,000 Americans are now dead, spent more time showing off his water drinking abilities than discussing the economic and health consequences of a pandemic he told us would go away by summer. It is night and day. This story allows everybody a great opportunity to compare and contrast who the man Joe Biden is and who the man Donald Trump is. I think you're 100% right, Dean. I think when you look specifically at the percentage of voters who say they dislike both Biden and they dislike Trump, majority, 60% or higher of those voters are gonna vote for Joe Biden. And I think the reason is because exactly what you said. You might not agree with Joe Biden on every policy issue. You might not even like Joe Biden. But at the end of the day, who is gonna be able to heal this country? We have a pandemic. We have people riding in the streets. Who is best equipped to do that? Is it the guy who for the last four years continues to sow division? The person who can't even get along within his own party with anyone who disagrees with him? Or is it the guy who's saying he's willing to reach across party lines? the guy who throughout his career has shown the ability to work with other people from other parties. I know Lindsey Graham is now a diehard Donald Trump supporter, but one thing Lindsey Graham cannot run from was a interview which he gave when he was asked about Joe Biden. And almost in tears, Lindsey Graham talks about how great of a person Joe Biden is and how there is no better person as far as character than Joe Biden. And I know a lot of people in the Senate believe that and they understand that. And I'm hoping a lot of voters understand that too, because that's what it's going to take to heal this country. It's not going to be someone who goes up on a stage and is all about himself. That's not going to heal the country. What's going to heal the country is someone who can empathize with our pain, understand that we're not always going to agree, but gives us the hope that the best day to come is still tomorrow. And that's what Joe Biden can do. And that's why I'm hoping come November, we're going to see him elected president. I really do not believe we can afford another four years of Donald Trump. Recently, the Lincoln Project tweeted out about 
Donald Trump's favorite nickname for Joe Biden, Sleepy Joe. And what they said I thought was so true. They embraced the nickname Sleepy Joe and they said, we need Sleepy Joe because America's tired. They're tired after four years of Donald Trump and we need a break. And I think that's where a lot of Americans are starting to feel right now. We can't keep doing this. We can't keep being this divided. There are plenty of issues that we're gonna to continue to have to try to find compromise on and find middle ground, but we can't keep going down this path of divisiveness. Yeah, it, it's unsustainable. Do you remember what so many uh, political pundits said about why George Bush won, right? Who would you rather have a beer with? They, they, they felt George Bush, okay. Who would you want to be your friend? If we're gonna make this as simplistic as possible, a lot of people that, you know what? They don't have time to follow politics. They're just worried about supporting their family. That's most people. And to those people, who do you trust more to have your back, Joe Biden or Donald Trump? Joe Biden, the man that time after time exemplifies what it means to have empathy. He did not have to do that for Amanda's grandmother. There's no cameras. Or Donald Trump, who is only concerned about himself and his image. So I know that's you know overly simplistic, but I think to a lot of people uh, that matters. And it mattered with Bush and I sure hope it matters again uh, with Biden. And I think that's the difference between them. Joe Biden cares about us. Donald Trump cares about Donald Trump. Now that brings us to the Dumbo of the week. This week's Dumbo of the week is rapper Kanye West. Mr. West tweeted out on July 4th that he was running for president as a quote, unifying voice. Mr. West is infamous for his support of Donald J. Trump in the 2016 election and for his comments in 2018 about slavery being a choice for those enslaved. Most people are viewing Kanye's candidacy as either a publicity stunt or a pathetic attempt to help his buddy Donald Trump get reelected with the hopes of siphoning votes from Biden. Mr. West hasn't released a decent album since 2013. As a hip hop artist, he continues to fall further into obscurity. His only relevance is being married to Kim Kardashian, a reality TV show and amateur porn star. Dean, either way, Kanye wins our Dumbo of the Week award for his pathetic attempt to remain relevant. What are your thoughts, however, on his announcement? And what do you think his intentions are behind running for president? I don't think he even knows what his intentions are at this point. Um, you know, it's sad. It's, it's sad to me, you know, just because, I mean, I grew up on his music and, you know, for a long time, we both loved Kanye West. More sad and pathetic than, than really anything else. I think this story is going to go away. There's no... Do you think that he could hurt Joe Biden? There is a perception that Joe Biden is struggling with young people and he's struggling specifically with young African-Americans. Does Kanye West running even if he's only taking one to 2% in places like Georgia, Florida, Michigan, could that be enough to tip this to Donald Trump? I don't think Kanye has any chance of creating a real third party candidacy. It's nothing like a Ross Perot situation, but I think there are people who are younger, who maybe aren't as enthusiastic about Joe Biden, who might find this funny, or might just be so disillusioned with the process that they say, I'm going to go vote for Kanye. And even if it's only one to 2%, could that not swing this election? No, I think, I think a lot of younger people, they only know Kanye for who he's married to, 
and for his idiotic comments on slavery. Um, I don't think it's gonna make big of a difference. I actually, to be honest with you, I'm more upset with Elon Musk and Mark Cuban for, for their comments, specifically Mark Cuban. I get what he said, you know, he's, Joe Biden is, is his first choice, but don't even entertain this Kanye West nonsense. About an hour ago, I will say that Mark Cuban did clarify what he meant. And he said that he was joking and that he is 100% okay. voting for Joe Biden and that he will not give any thought to voting for Kanye West. However, he thinks Kanye would still make a better president than Donald Trump. But he also said that he thinks anyone would make a better president than Donald Trump. Okay, so that's fair. So I guess it, it just leaves Elon Musk. Yeah, I'm done with the Elon Musk. I mean, at this point, Elon Musk is no different than Donald Trump. I think the only reason Elon Musk sometimes doesn't embrace Donald Trump and is trying to embrace Kanye is because Elon Musk doesn't want the backlash that is associated with Trump. But let's make no mistake, Elon Musk and Trump are very much the same person. You know, Tesla is an amazing car and an amazing vehicle, and I hope to one day be able to afford to have one. However, I will never purchase one as long as Elon Musk is part of that company. Uh, he's no one that I would ever want to be associated with. I lost all respect for Elon Musk when he went on his Twitter rant about how we just need to be okay with people dying during COVID because he needed to open his factory up. That's when I lost all respect. It's one thing to be a business person and maybe believe it. It's a whole nother thing to go out there and say it. I'm not saying that believing it's any better, but don't go out there and say it. At least pretend that you actually care about your employees. Elon Musk wouldn't even do that. But getting back to Kanye West, I do have some concern, and I know that I am in the minority on this. Nate Silver tweeted out that Kanye West has as much chance of hurting Joe Biden as Marion Williamson did when she ran as a Democrat in the primary. Uh, I, I get why people are dismissive of Kanye West's candidacy. He is a joke. However, we've already shown our ability to elect a reality TV star. What's to say that 1% to 2% of Americans won't consider voting for Kanye West? And again, I don't think he has any shot of winning, but if he can take 1% of the vote away from Biden in Georgia, that could be enough. If he could take 1% of the vote away from Michigan, we know that could be enough. Hillary Clinton lost Michigan by 10,000 votes. That's it. So in a race that could be very, very close, I do think that Kanye West can hurt Donald Trump if he seriously runs. Now, whether he is actually going to run, we shall see. He is running up against some filing deadlines. I know Florida's filing deadline for independent candidates is the 15th of July. Additionally, Kanye does not have a campaign actually set up, so he'd have to start that process. He would also have to disclose a bunch of tax information that I'm sure he does not want to disclose. So there's a lot of other impediments that would be in Kanye West's path. And this is not the first time Kanye West has said he's going to run for president. He has hinted it before. However, this is the first time he has said without a doubt that he is running. We shall see. Again, I don't think Kanye West is going to make a huge difference. I'm just concerned that there's going to be 1% to 2% of the electorate out there who maybe we're going to vote for Biden, who are now not going to because they're going to waste their vote on Kanye West. We'll know in the next couple of weeks how serious Kanye West is about running. It's just a shame last night to watch his joke of an announcement come out and to see how much publicity it got. I almost feel like it's gotten more publicity than anything Joe Biden said in the last two months because the media just went for it. It's a shame when you see stuff like that because Joe Biden has been doing a great job speaking about what he can do to heal this country. And the media hasn't been covering it. Yeah. And more than anything, I just think it shows you how idiotic our news media can be. And maybe not really idiotic, um, more so thirsty, thirsty for ratings and views. And 
They want an easy click. And that's how you end up with the reality TV show president, because it, we all we cared about in the media was ratings and clicks. And when everything's about trying to find the next big headline to get people to visit your website, these things are going to happen. Hopefully America has finally learned its lesson and we will go back to some sense of normalcy. I never thought it would happen, but Donald Trump has made me miss the days of George W. Bush as our president. Now to the last segment of our episode. The main event topic, is AOC doing enough to help elect Joe Biden? Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is considered by many to be the brightest star in the Democratic Party. AOC was an avid Bernie Sanders supporter during the primary and is the self-described future of the Democratic Socialist movement. Since becoming the presumptive Democratic nominee, Joe Biden has made some efforts to reach out to progressives, including adopting Warren's bankruptcy policy and Sanders' idea to make public colleges and universities free for families whose income is below 125000 Biden has even nominated AOC as the co-chair of his climate panel. However, even with these overtures, AOC has been reluctant to embrace the Biden campaign and has yet to actually formally endorse him, though she has said she will vote for the former VP this November. Dean, with AOC now done with her primary challenge in New York, is it time for the Congresswoman to do more to help elect Joe Biden? Yes, Vince. I do believe AOC needs to start playing a more active role in helping Joe Biden win this election. This is a time for an all-hands-on-deck approach. We whether it be regretful Republicans, independents, moderate Democrats, and liberal Democrats. We all need to come together and focus on one goal, to end the awful nightmare that is the Donald Trump presidency. Now is not the time for nitpicking. There will be plenty of time to do that. There will be time for us to debate about the future of America's climate change policy, what we will do to reverse the decades-long war on America's working class, and every other issue in between. There will be time for that, but not now, not right now. Right now is the time for unity, even if that unity is not perfect, and it shouldn't be. We do disagree on a whole lot, but what we all agree on is that Trump is unfit to be the president. So the way I'm viewing this this election is, you know, that moment in the movie when the two foes at the beginning of the movie come to the realization that they must work together to defeat a worse foe. That's how I see this moment. And not that we're foes or anything like that, but I'm just trying to, you know, make it an example. And I think Cortez will play an essential role in easing the very real and very understandable reluctance that many liberal Democrats feel toward Joe Biden. I hope she does. We need everyone. And how about this? How about we all agree to grant any liberal Democrat a pass on this election? We will not hold it against you. We will not suggest that you're acting inconsistent with your political values. We will not claim that you're not down for the cause. Just this one time, in this one moment, we all agree to view this election in a vacuum. And I'm only half joking. Can we agree on that, Vince? I agree with you on that, Dean. And I will say that I do think AOC needs to do more, but I, and I think she will. I kind of look at it from two different lenses. I think my personal belief on why AOC has not done as much is because the Biden campaign and AOC's campaign are very calculated about how they want to use her. You've seen this with the Biden campaign. They're waiting to bring out the big guns when they need them. I think you're going to see a lot more of AOC going to bat for Biden when we get closer to September and October. People do not give the Biden campaign enough credit when everyone thought it was all falling apart 
the Biden campaign brought it together. They executed their plan. When it came time on Super Tuesday, they had everyone lined up the way they needed them to. I think it's time for the Democratic Party to give Biden's campaign the respect it deserves. It's run a pretty great campaign up until now. Yes, there have been blunders. Yes, there have been times where I think we've all wondered what's going on, but he's done a really good job of executing their game plan, which is right now, let Trump be Trump. Let him go out there and say all the crazy stuff he's going to want to say. Let him go hurt himself. And when it comes closer to September, you're going to see more people come out and endorse Biden, including AOC. She's already said she's going to vote for him. I think she's in a really good at bat for him, though, closer to September when they need her the most. However, to play devil's advocate, I will say that there is a theory out there, and I can understand it, which is, does Biden winning hurt AOC? And what I mean by that is AOC is the future of the democratic socialist, the left wing of our party. She's the future. Everyone knows it. If Joe Biden wins with this idea of a broad coalition, does that prove what every moderate's been trying to say, which is the way that you win elections in America is by winning with broad support. And that going down the far left path will never win us an election. There is a fear there. If you're on the far left, that if AOC and all these people come out and support Biden and Biden wins and wins with a big margin, does that prove that what moderate Democrats have been saying for years is actually right? If you want to win, you elect someone who can get to the middle because that's what America wants. Dean, do you think there's a fear out there among people on the left or even maybe AOC herself that a Biden win diminishes maybe her impact and control over the Democratic Party? No, I don't think so. I think, as we've discussed, you know, I do think it's going to be a blowout. Um, and I don't think it's going to be a blowout solely because of this broad coalition. It's going to be a blowout because people are tired of Donald Trump. I think Bernie Sanders would have easily defeated him. I think Elizabeth Warren would have easily defeated him. I think this election more than anything is going to be the reawakening of America's soul, as Biden likes to say. That does not negate the fact that younger voters are more liberal and the Democratic Party is getting more liberal. It has been. If you wanna compare the Clinton campaign and presidency to what is and is not consistent with democratic values today, I don't know if he'd be able to, to run as a Democrat. The party has changed. So I don't think there's that fear. I don't think there should be that fear. I think it's gonna take time, like anything. And hopefully AOC will be one of our leaders uh, promoting policies that are consistent with the values of liberal Democrats. And, you know, I do want to make another point that these values are not so foreign. The idea that every single person should have health care is not that foreign. Every country, every developed country in the world has this. It's not that foreign that corporations should be allowed to pay zero in taxes and yet not pay their employees a living wage. That's what we're fighting for. So 
I do somewhat resent the idea that these policy proposals are too foreign to ever be adopted in America. Um, America is socialist. Every single person over the age of 65 is getting a check from the government. Policing, military, infrastructure, the postal service. This is all socialism. I get what you're saying, Vince, but I don't think there's that fear. And I don't think there should be that fear. And I agree with you. I don't think the divide is as much as people want to make it out to be. I think a majority of Democrats agree that healthcare is a universal right. I think the difference is how do we get there? And that's where our differences lie. It's not always about the issue, but it's about how do we get there? And what's, what is the best and most logical way to get there? I do, however, disagree with you that there should be potentially some political fear from the far left when it comes to how to nominate a candidate for president. I think what history has shown us time and time again is that moderates win and that electing someone who can get to the middle and make people feel comfortable with them across the country and build a broad coalition of support. Did John Kerry win? Did Hillary Clinton win? Did they win? No, I get what you're saying, Dean, and I agree that you still need the right candidate to win. However, I do think when you look at history, when you elect someone who's too far to one side, it's very difficult for them to win unless they find a way to bring people together. How are you going to connect with that voter in California, but also that voter in Montana or the voter in Florida? That's where I think being a moderate has its benefits because you have the ability to reach out to people and build that broad coalition. And that's where I think sometimes being further on the left, you don't have that possibility. Let's face it, there obviously was a fear politically among Democrats that electing Bernie Sanders would be a colossal mistake. I know you went through and said that you thought, you know, if Elizabeth Warren was a candidate, she'd be fine and be in the same position Joe Biden would be in. I don't know if that's true either. I think too often we fall into the narrative that anyone could be winning this election who is a Democrat because America is turning against Trump. It's more important that the person's not Trump than necessarily who they are. But I disagree with that. I think it'd be very tough in this current political climate for maybe Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders to be doing as well as Joe Biden is. Joe Biden's able to get independent support more than maybe an Elizabeth Warren or a Bernie Sanders. Joe Biden is also a rare challenger. Typically, the reason challengers struggle when they run against incumbents and the reason that incumbents tend to always win is because the challenger is not well known. And there's a vetting process going on of who is this challenger? What about their past that we don't know? It's Joe Biden. We know who Joe is. We've known him for eight years as vice president. He's been vetted. We already know the Joe Biden commodity. So I think he's a unique candidate in that aspect because there is no process of really vetting him anymore. We've already vetted him. The country's already comfortable with him. They, they know who he is just as much as they know who Donald Trump is. I do think that there should be a little bit of fear on the, on the far left side in the sense that this kind of proves what I think moderates have been trying to say for a while, which is that we all agree on the same politics and the job of the far left part of our party is to push us towards more progress. But you need to elect someone who can get to the middle because the problem of the far left of our party is dealing with is this idea that you have to be pure. And if you're not 100% pure in these issues, then you don't really believe them. And I think that sometimes gets us in a lot of trouble as a party. You, know, you look at what happened in Kentucky. And I know, Dean, we talked about this throughout the past week. I was very concerned that they were not going to elect Amy McGrath to represent the Democrats in the Senate against Mitch McConnell. I, Dean, I know you were a big fan of the progressive candidate in that race, Charles Booker. But my big fear with electing him is that Kentucky isn't ready for him yet. And I much rather have an Amy McGrath who can reach out to independents, who can go across party lines and build a coalition. We just had a Democrat become elected governor there because that's the race he ran. He ran as a moderate Democrat who was going to reach out across the aisle 
and was going to get things done for Kentuckians. And that's what Amy McGrath can do. I think too often as Democrats, we make the mistake of electing progressive Democrats who have no chance of winning in some of these states. And I think that was a prime example of, fortunately, the party making the right decision, because I think it would have been a complete disaster when you finally have a chance to get rid of Mitch McConnell to elect someone as far left as Charles Booker. I'm hearing the, the same term over and over again, moderate Democrat. What have moderate Democrats effectively done over the past 20, 25 years? Healthcare is still unaffordable for most Americans. Climate change is still getting worse. Income inequality is worsening as well. We've tried the moderate Democrat experiment. For most people, it is not working. For most people, it seems like it is Republican light, where the focus, especially on the economy, revolves around the investor class instead of the working class. So I do believe we can bring the Democratic Party further left, and I don't think AOC has anything to be worried about. Because our policies that once understood, I believe a lot of Democrats and a lot of independents will realize that this is the future. The experiment that we have been partaking in with our economy over the past 30, 40 years in which unions are being destroyed in which corporations, again, are not paying their fair share, where the top 1% are not paying their fair share. We've, we've been living in this experiment and it has not worked. And your moderate Democrats have done nothing to fix it. And maybe I'm naive, but I think enough people will eventually come to the realization that a party that just wants to cut around the edges, is not gonna be a party that will bring the real tangible change that this country needs so much. And this, I think, goes back to the classic differences between you and I when it comes to policy, when it comes to progress, because my viewpoint is moderates have done a lot. What have we done? We've won, something the progressives seem not to be able to do on a national stage. But what do you do that with that winning? And that's the what, difference. What real differences have you made? And that's the difference right there. My viewpoint is that in order to create progress, progress isn't about perfection. Progress is about moving forward. So what moderate Democrats have been able to do is help us move forward. Is it as far as we want it to be? No. But for the first time ever, are we at least not discriminating against people with pre-existing conditions when it comes to healthcare? Yes. Is Obamacare perfect? No. For the first time ever, can health insurance companies tell you that they're not going to cover something because you met your max amount of out-of-pocket expenses they're going to pay? No, that can't happen anymore. So again, I'm not saying we're perfect. But can most Americans afford the premiums? Most Americans still do not have affordable access to health care. Every other country in the developed world has universal health care. But we're supposed to be, but we're supposed to feel fine because the moderate Democrats got us, you can stay on your parents' health care plan until you're 26. But is that not progress? No, it's, 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 not, it's not progress. 
It's not progress. But it is progress because before you, because you could get kicked people, off your parents' health care plan. People still cannot afford health care. How is that progress? Because we've moved forward. It's not perfect. What I think the difference is, you're saying it's not perfect. It's not the way it should be. And I agree with you on that issue. I'm saying it is progress though, because progress isn't about perfection. Progress is moving forward. I don't know how you could say that pre-Obamacare is the same thing as Obamacare, because it's not. There are tangible differences between what the insurance companies are allowed to do. Is it what it should be? No. Did we get the public option in there? No. But that's something we need to build on. And my argument is, at least we passed something. Frankly, my frustration with the far left at times is that they rather pass nothing than pass something that might have a few flaws. And I rather pass something, just like when it comes to a candidate. There are a lot of things that I wish Joe Biden was maybe a little bit different on when it comes to policy. But at the end of the day, I just want a candidate who could win. We go back to looking at the primary. I was not the biggest Joe Biden fan. I mean, I've always respected Joe Biden. I liked Joe Biden. I was happy for Joe Biden that he was when he won. I was vehemently rooting for him against Bernie. I think I would have rooted against anyone but Bernie at that point. So that's not that big of a surprise. You know, I started out as a big Beto fan and he dropped out. I went to Pete and I went through all the moderates until I got to Biden. But the reason I'm happy with Joe Biden as our candidate is because I know that he can reach out is because I know that he is a moderate Democrat who can reach out across the aisle and who understands what it takes to get things done. The reality is, as Democrats, hopefully we win the Senate, hopefully we maintain the Congress, and hopefully we win the presidency. But every one of those Democrats who has won in more conservative areas are going to have to be reelected. Connor Lamb's going to have to be reelected in Pennsylvania. Does Medicare for All get him reelected, or does the most popular health care plan we have right now, which is Obamacare, it's the most popular it's ever been. 60% of the population likes Obamacare, approves of it. Is building upon that the better way to go? Or is ripping that down and starting all over again from scratch the best way to get Connor Lamb reelected in Pennsylvania? I, I guess my overarching belief and opinion on this is that nothing will really change unless there is significant, sudden, widespread transformation of how our economy works. Nothing will change. Nothing will ever really change unless we move towards a society that focuses less on GDP and quarterly profits and more on the real human experience that people are living. Are they happy? Are they able to achieve their goals? whatever they may be, that's what we need to strive for. And cutting around the edges is not going to get us there. And I know some listeners may be a little confused because, you know, most of the podcasts I've been saying, everyone needs to go out for, and vote for Joe. And I, do, I really do believe that. But what I'm saying is beyond Joe Biden, the next election, and the election after that, if we really want to be serious about the problems that we are facing, it's going to take a whole lot more than a health care plan that was written by the insurance companies. It's going to take a whole lot more than raising the income tax two percentage points. That's, I guess that's what I'm getting at. So Maybe I'm not really as focused on which state we can and cannot win because 
we're only focused on that level and not focused on the systemic changes that need to happen in this country, then nothing's going to change. And I guess, you know, from the moderate side, my argument would be, how do you get change if you don't win? How do you make that change happen? But you're, you're coming at it from the premise that we can never win as liberal Democrats. And what I'm saying is the country continues to move leftward. Younger and younger people are more and more liberal, and they will be able to vote. So to just, to just automatically say, oh, you're a liberal Democrat, you don't have a shot, I don't think that's necessarily fair. It may take time, but right now, by putting out moderate Democrat after moderate Democrat, we are putting a Band-Aid on a, a leg that, just, that has just been blown off. That's all we're doing. And we're not focusing on the systemic issues that exist in our economy. And my argument to you would be, if the far left is so electable, then why is Bernie Sanders not our nominee? And the reason Bernie Sanders is not our nominee is because I think Democrats deep down inside know that they want to win. Joe Biden gave us the best chance to win. We do want to win. But your question at the beginning of the segment revolved around AOC and the future, right? I'm talking about the future, not talking about right now. I'm talking about where the Democratic Party can be one day with people like AOC leading the charge. When we're talking about climate change and the Paris Accords were great and all, and um, you know, I don't wanna take anything away from that, but most scientists would have told you that it's not enough. So it's just another example of putting a Band-Aid on a wound that is gushing blood. These are real problems that require significant action sooner rather than later you know i do believe the democratic party is going to have to go through a significant transformation to appeal to more and more voters who realize that the economic system of today should not be the economic system of tomorrow and that's what we're talking about i'm talking about tomorrow and i agree with you you know one thing I'll say is we might differ on our policies and, and obviously I'm more moderate than you are, but I do agree that AOC has a bright future. And for the record, I think she is going to help Biden. And I don't think the reason that she is not helping Biden to this point is politically motivated. However, I strongly believe that having a moderate Democrat who understands how to at least get something accomplished is important and it's an important part of winning national elections. But like you said, we're going to see, and there's probably is going to have to be a transformation the Democrats are going to have to go through. But hopefully the next election will not be about that transformation, but rather about reelecting Joe Biden. Yeah, we could, we could agree on that. That's it for this podcast episode. We hope you enjoyed it. Please make sure to share this episode with your family and friends. We would really appreciate it. Don't forget, if you want to help support the podcast, visit our merchandise store at leftandlefter.com slash shop. And lastly, before we end this episode, we do want to shout out one of our Twitter followers, a big shout out to New Jersey students for Biden at NJ underscore four underscore Biden. New Jersey students for Biden are proud New Jersey students working to elect Joe Biden president. So give them a follow. That's it for this episode. Until next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Left and Lefter podcast. Join the Left and Lefter community at leftandlefter.com and follow us on Twitter at Left and Lefter. Left and Lefter.